comes from Deuteronomy 2, verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And our New Testament reading and sermon passage comes from Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to see you all. We're in a new series, and we're in a series we're going to be talking about fear. And you might be thinking that's kind of an odd topic, but I would say it's certainly a timely topic. When you think about what's going on in the world, you can look at the news and you see what's going on with war. Uh, you look at the news and it talks about the poor economy. We have polarizing politics. There's an ongoing pandemic. And then you can look at yourself and you can have fear over your health. You can have fear over your personal finances. You can have fear over family dysfunction. Then you can consider, you know, your spiritual life. And you can say, wow, there's struggle with sin. I'm lacking a nearness with God. Am I really following Jesus with all my heart, soul, and strength? And then we can get rather existential. Is it really worth following God? Am I on the right path in my life? Am I going to make it to the very end? So, whoo, what do we do? <laughs> so if you look on your bulletin cover, um, we have a, a tamed down version. That picture is what we were going to do. We were going to use that Edvard Munch, you know, the scream, the famous Norwegian uh, artist. Because we really felt like that's what conveys what we're going to be talking about. And then we realized uh, there are things called copyright laws, and so we're not going to do that. But we're in this series, and what we want to see is where do we bring our fears? How do we overcome our fears? How do we actually grow in faith? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our fear over material needs. And then next week we'll be talking a bit about how we have fear over people. And then in the third week we'll be talking about our own faith fears. And today when we talk about material needs, we're going to talk about fear over having enough food, clothing, housing. 
And what we need to see is Jesus, um, one of the things he does not do, he doesn't just come along and say, hey, get over it. <laughs> uh, he says, we need to place our fears in the context of his kingdom. So today what we'll do is we're going to work through these verses. Um, starting at verse 25, we're going to see there's a command. And the command is, God says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And then we're going to look at verses 26 through 30. And we're going to look at the heart of the command. And that's what we're going to see is God cares for you. And then we'll look at verses 31 through 34. What does it mean to do this command? And we'll see that it means seeking first the kingdom of God. What's our big idea? It's this, because God cares for you, you are to seek first his kingdom. Because God cares for you, seek first his kingdom. Let's pray before we go further. God, we do pray because we need you and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come, show us Jesus. Show us how you care for us. And may that care overcome all fears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the command, do not be anxious. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, and even your clothes. Now what we need to see is what he does not say, and then also what he does say. Very importantly, Jesus does not come along and then just say, hey, just stop it. Some of you remember that very famous and humorous Bob Newhart skit, uh, Bob Newhart being this fictional counselor, and there's this fictional skit, or actual skit, where uh, he's a counselor and the client comes in and the client says, I have this fear of being buried in a box. And so they talk a little bit and he assesses and says, okay, you're claustrophobic. And then he says, I'm going to have two words for you that I think will change your life. And so the client says, should I take a note? And so the person pulls out a notebook and he says, maybe, but most people remember this. And so he gets ready and he leans forward and he then yells and says, stop it. <laughs> and um, the client looks in shock and horror and says, stop it. And he says, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. And so then the client says, so you're saying I'm just to stop it. And then he says, you don't want to go around living your life thinking that you're going to be stuck in a box. That's frightening. Stop it. So then the client says, but I've had this from my childhood. And he goes, oh, no, we don't go there. Just stop it. And then they go through different scenarios. And every scenario, he says, stop it. <laughs> Eventually, the client says, I, I don't like this therapy. <laughs> Jesus sees our fears. And it's not this stern, cold, just stop it. He doesn't say, stop being fearful. He doesn't say, get over it. Instead, Jesus sees our fear. He doesn't ignore our history. He says, there is a story. Often we have reasons why we are anxious and fearful. Now, how do we know that? Look at how he starts the verse, therefore. When we see this therefore, it's linking to the previous section, and the previous section is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus, and he's teaching about God's law. And he's teaching about the law in such a way he's showing not just what the words say, but what is the heart behind the command. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, we have things like this. You've heard it said, do not murder, the sixth commandment. Jesus says, I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, that is murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, the seventh commandment. Jesus goes on and says, lust is actually adultery in your heart. He says, you know, you provide for the poor, you provide for the widow, you provide for the orphan. These are alms. These are commanded by God. But he says, don't do that for show. Do that in secret. Do that before God. It's between you and God and how he cares for these people. And then in the section immediately before what we read in our text, he addresses wealth and the heart before it. Chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up treasures on earth. Why? Because there's the moth that destroys. There's the rust that corrodes. There is the thief that steals. Instead, he says, lay up treasure in heaven. And he bases that upon the law of God. In the law of God, in Deuteronomy 8, uh, chapter 8, it says, when you obtain wealth, because God says, I will bless you, remember that it was God who does all this. In other words, your treasure is ultimately in God, not in earthly things. And there's a wisdom about this, Proverbs 23, 4, do not weary yourself in getting wealth because it will just fly away. Instead, focus upon God. And then verse 24, which is the verse before our verses that start, very famously Jesus says you cannot have two masters. You cannot love one and still love the other. Instead, you will love one and hate the other. And so then Jesus says you cannot love God and then love mammon. And mammon being that Semitic word, that Jewish word for possessions, for stuff. You cannot love God, the heavenly kingdom, and you cannot love stuff, the earthly kingdom. You can only love one. So there's the context. And we need to follow then how this context sets up for what Jesus is saying in our text today. In verses 19 through 21, which we didn't read, but he says, earthly treasures do not satisfy. They're fleeting. They do not last. To set your heart on them leads to missing out on the lasting treasure in heaven. And then in verses 22 and 23, he says, if you yearn, if you long for this earthly treasure, it blurs, it distorts how you see the world, but also it ultimately distorts how you see eternal reality. And then verse 24, you must make a choice. And the choice is between God and earthly treasures. And then we come to our text, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you drink, your bodies or your clothes. What he's saying is do not set your heart on earthly things. Do not set your heart on the food, on the drink, on the clothes. He's saying, yes, you need them to live, but then look at how he continues. Is life not more than food and body? Is your life not more than your clothing? So when he says this command, do not be anxious, it's a command to not confuse what really matters. It's a command to look beyond the earthly matters to eternal realities. And so when God, Jesus says, do not serve, or you cannot serve 
you know, God and mammon, you have to make a choice. He's really then saying in this verse, you cannot serve God and worry. You can only serve one. And so in verse 25, when he's saying, you know, do not be anxious, what he's meaning is God alone must rule your life and not anxiety. So a person might say, okay, I understand this, but <laughs> um, there's so much to be fearful over in this world. There really is so much that causes anxiety in our lives. Remember, we talked about money or lack thereof, health or lack thereof, politics and how divisive it is, the wars that go on in our world, the sin that goes on in my life. We can say, you know what, there's more bad than good. Then a person might say, you know what, I have history here. There's a story. There's reasons why this is so difficult for me. There are reasons why I have so much fear. I need help. And that's our second point. See, the heart of the command is this, God cares for you. And to understand this heart of the command, we first need to understand what is the heart of fear and anxiety. Now, I just want to pause. When we say, what is the heart of fear and anxiety, it's basically asking, how do we find the root of a root? Um, fear is the root of nearly everything in, you know, psychology today. If you were to ask a person, what's the root of your anger? What's the root of your compulsion? What is the root of your sleeplessness? Often it's what? Fear and anxiety. And so we need to look at this in a general sense, and we need to look at this in the narrow sense that the Lord Jesus is applying in our text. So first, a general sense, um, the root of fear is self-preservation. So let me give an example. Um, if you're walking in the woods and a grizzly bear, not a Wisconsin black bear, but a grizzly bear, huge and imposing, stands before you on two legs, you know, 10 feet tall, and growling and having claws, you know, ready to destroy, you have what's called a fight or flight response. So either you say, I'm going to run away from this great grizzly, or I'm going to try to defend myself from this great grizzly. That is what we call a natural response, self-preservation. And such fear is understandable. It's actually appropriate. This is how God designed us to actually protect us and keep us safe. So there's one sense of fear, but let's also look at the narrow root of fear that Jesus is addressing. And it's the fear that God will not provide. You see, when you have fear over your food, over your clothing, over your housing, it is a form of self-preservation. You're fearing for your life. Um, you need those things to live. If you do not have food, you starve and you can die. If you do not have clothing, particularly in Wisconsin in winter, uh, you get cold and you die. And so there's this sense of when you want those things, you're just wanting to live. But what Jesus is doing, he says, look in your heart. There's a fear that God does not care. See, often we say, well, God, he cares, but he doesn't care for me. Um, I see that God takes care of other folks, but for me, it's been a life of disappointment. It's been a life of suffering. I've had so many things I didn't get. Um, there's been tragedy. How is God's care present in those times? Now, how do we know that this is what Jesus is getting at? 
When we look at verses 26 through 30, what Jesus does is he gives these everyday examples and rhetorical questions even to show how God's caring for you. And he has this refrain, how much more then? And so what Jesus is doing, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater to show if God cares for this small thing, then obviously he cares for this big thing, you. Look at the first one. Here he says, God provides for the birds. How much more does he then care for you? Yes, birds and humans are both creatures dependent upon God. What Jesus is saying, yet to you, God is the heavenly father. He is knowable, he is personal, and as such, he is caring for you. And then he talks about flowers. Flowers are full of beauty and splendor, and he says this beauty and splendor is greater than even of Solomon. Solomon being that great king who was, if you will, full of all the earthly glory you could possibly have. It says in the one of the accounts, one of the queens of the south, the queen of Sheba, she comes to Solomon to see all that God had been doing in him, through him, and in the kingdom, and it says she was breathless. Like, she saw the splendor and the beauty and the glory of Solomon, and she was just undone. Jesus says, the flowers have even more glory than that. And look at the comparison. If God adorns these temporary flowers with such glory, then how much more does he care for you who are eternal and a much-loved child, certainly he will adorn you with the necessary clothing. And what Jesus is saying is, why should you not be anxious? It's because God cares for you. God says you are valuable. Now, this is very important because we need to see how this relates to verse 24. Again, in verse 24, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can, you're going to love only one, not both. You cannot have two masters. And what he's saying here is you cannot love God and worry. In fact, you cannot love God and anything, fill in the blank. And what Jesus is doing here is he's driving home the point, you must love God and God alone. But what would make you want to serve God and God alone? You might say, okay, well, I'm going to serve God and God alone because he gives me the command to do so. All right, we get that, and so we say, okay, I'm going to obey. But what actually is the motive for you to obey and follow God when it seems like he's not coming through? See, when do you obey God? Often when things are going well. But when do you obey God, when it, or when is it difficult to obey God is when there's lack in your life, when there is suffering in your life. When do you have these times when you say, I gotta wonder if it's worth serving you? See, what is the motive at those points is this. It's not the command necessarily, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that says, I love you, I'm with you, and I care for you. And that's where Jesus is going. Jesus says, because God cares, you can serve God alone. Now we have to be very careful here. Jesus is not teaching some form of what we call easy believism. You know, just believe in God and all things will be okay. Uh, I call this like a divine form of Bobby McFerrin. Remember his song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Landlord says the rent is late. He may have to litigate. <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. Um, doesn't work that way, does it? 
You see, later, here we are, and we're in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus himself says, do not fear those who can kill your body but cannot kill your soul. What's the implication? We're going to suffer. Some of us will even die. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, there's a great tribulation. He says these really hard words. In that day, may you not be pregnant. May you not be a nursing mom. For great will be the trouble during that day. Here in our country, uh, the United States of America, we have so many blessings. And one of those is we have great freedom to worship our God and King. And that's such a grateful thing that we have. And yet we think about some of our brothers and sisters, Christians around the world, where they do not have such, if you will, privilege, blessing. We have Christians around the world who lack clothing for the name of Jesus. We have Christians who are starving because they name the name of Jesus. Sometimes in some countries, people are dying, not only because of naming Jesus, but because of injustice and corruption within the own governments there. And so these are things that we have to wrestle with because what we need to see is this. When Jesus teaches that God cares, what he's saying is there's no problems. In, he's not saying there's no problems in life. He's not equating that there's no suffering. So what is he teaching? He's teaching, very simply, God cares for you. You truly matter to God. You belong to God. This is so relevant for our modern fears today. In our modern fear, people say this, I fear that this world is all there is. This is it. And this is what my life is about, is only what there is right now. And so that's why the modern world does worry about food. It does worry about clothing. But in our country, we apply this, I worry about what I'm going to watch on TV tonight. I'm going to worry about what I'm... Uh, how I look before other people. I worry about my reputation because this is all there is. And what Jesus is saying, this is mammon. It's stuff. It's this earthly treasure. And what Jesus is saying is there is a forever treasure, a heavenly kingdom that is so much better, far better than this world. And God in his care says, I am going to bring you there because I love you and I care for you. So what Jesus is saying is this is a call to faith. Will you believe him? Yes, there may be times when we fear for our lives. And I would say in our country, often it's not the food and it's not the clothing. In our lives here, it's often the safety. Will I be safe? Will there be health? And what Jesus is saying, you must have an ultimate fear. And that ultimate fear is who holds you in his hand? It is God. Again, we go back to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, do not fear him who can kill your body but cannot kill your soul. Instead, he says, fear him who has power to put you into hell. You see, fear is more than just being scared. Fear is saying, I honor this person. I trust this person. And in this context, fear is belief. It's saying, Jesus, you are the one who controls my life. You provide all that I need. And I believe that you will come through for me. Not just this temporary world, but the forever world. That is the lasting care. Now, is that cheap? You need 
You know what I mean by that? Sometimes we over-spiritualize. We say, ah, well, I have an ultimate care. I have an ultimate home. But friends, that is what we ultimately need. More than even food and drink, Jesus says, this is what we need most. So here we are. We might say, okay, I get it. I'm not to be anxious because God cares for me. And he cares for me forever. But how do we work this out today? And that's our third point. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Look at verse 33. There he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And what he's saying is, yes, we all have fear, but Jesus is showing us then where to place that fear. We place it into him and his kingdom. What we need to know first is that this is a very costly thing that our Jesus is asking us to do. When he says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, what that means is you're putting the kingdom of God above your own earthly kingdom. I say that feels like death <laughs> because if, what that's basically saying is you got to die to yourself. You have to die to your own wants. And Jesus is then saying something very bold. You have to die to your own needs. The only thing that first matters is Christ and his kingdom. That is hard because it is costly. Another thing, though, is this is very counterintuitive. Remember, we have natural self-preservation. We think for ourselves. We live for ourselves. We love ourselves. And so we will gladly give all things to the earthly kingdom because then that promotes us and makes us comfortable. We want to think about those things that will save and enhance our life on this earth. Jesus is saying... Give all that you have to his kingdom and to others, not to yourself, not to this world. Then those things will be added unto you. Counterintuitive. So then we have to ask this hard question then, well, why should we seek first the kingdom of God if it's costly and counterintuitive? We seek first the kingdom of God because Jesus first sought you. That's why he came. Do, you, do we consider what Jesus has done to seek us? Think about Christmas several months ago. What is Christmas all about? Jesus left his heavenly glory to pursue you to be his own. What that means is Jesus knew poverty. Jesus said amazing things. He said, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus knows dependence. Jesus is the one who said, my food is to do the will of my Father. He depended upon the Father for all things. So when Jesus says in verse 31, do not be anxious about your, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, Jesus is not moralizing. He knows this firsthand experience. Jesus knows what it means to be in want. He knows what it means to trust God for provision. When Jesus says in verse 32, the Father knows that you, need them all, that you need them all, he really knows this. And when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's not asking you to do something that he has not already done. Think about Easter last week. What did Jesus do to truly get us what did Jesus do so that he would show that we are first in all things? He died for us. 
That's not self-preservation, but self-sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life so that you might have life. Jesus shed his own blood so that your blood would be preserved. There's nothing more costly than that. The exchange of his glory for our shame. <laughs> the, the exchange of his perfection for our polluting sin. The exchange of his perfect love in fellowship with the Father and the Spirit for separation that is due for our sin. How do you know when a person really cares for you? How do you know? It's when they sacrifice for you. It's when they put themselves last and they put the, you first. That's when you know a person is genuinely caring for you. And that's the gospel, is it not? You see, in love, you are first to God, and that's why he sacrificed his only son so that you would be with him and have life in him forever. Friends, why do we seek the kingdom of God? Because God then sought us first. And he sent his son to secure our life in his kingdom forever and ever. Now see then how this relates to fear. See, often in our world, again, in our kind of materialistic culture in the United States, we don't often worry about, you know, am I going to have enough food? Am I going to have enough clothing to wear? Our fear is different. Am I going to have good food? <laughs> am I going to have good clothing? Am I going to have like a tasty meal? Am I going to look good before other people? And so what this teaching is then saying, it's really shaping us to say, God, I need to have gratitude instead of materialism. I'm so thankful for all that you've given me. God, work in me this heart of gratitude. And so what we're doing is that we're placing our fears and given it's not the fear, God, am I going to eat enough? But God, am I going to look good enough? And you can place that into the kingdom of God because it gives perspective. There's something more lasting to live for. Another way that this addresses our fears is generosity. So often we live in a world where we don't want to give generously, and I say radical generosity, that we're giving so that other people are first. Not just even like providing for my own needs, but I'm going to give in such a way that I can give generously we fear doing that because that means I might not get what I want. I might not get what I think I need for entertainment, recreation, retirement. And what Jesus is saying is, it's not about maxing out your earthly treasure. How are you maxing out an earth or heavenly treasure that will last forever? And so again, we're taking our fears, our fears over money, and he says, place it into the kingdom and see how the kingdom then gives a perspective then also just assurance. How do we know that God really, truly cares for us? He sent his son to die for us. And when we see that, then we can place all of our fears, whatever they might be, and say, God, because you sent your son, I can place my fears into you and your kingdom because I have this perspective of how much you care. That's why Jesus summarized, look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Friends, I have to share that uh, when Pastor Clay and I were thinking about this series, it's only three weeks, but we thought this is just so timely because we live in a world of fear. And when I was thinking about this sermon text today, I thought, why do I get to preach this? Because it convicts me. I stand before you and I wanted to share how this sermon text has ministered to me. One of the key areas is I've been in so much worry over this home that we have. Uh, we're coming up on a year of owning this home, and it's been a lot of trouble for us. <laughs> it's a 45-year-old home, and things are at their end of their shelf life. Let me just give one example. Uh, we bought the house to be close to the church, and it happens to come with a pool. Now, we didn't really want a pool, but it's kind of cool to have a pool. But the pool is 45 years old. So we had an inspection on the pool before we bought the house. The guy comes and says, it looks great. Within one week... First, the cleaner breaks, cleaner breaks, and then the pump starts to leak, and then the UV lights burn out, and then the ozone light burns out, and now it's leaking because <laughs> all the joints and pipes are 45 years old, and they're breaking apart. And I look at that, and I'm just like, can I take any more of owning a pool? And then, as you know, we've been in a remodel, and uh, as they tore apart, the, tore apart the house to fix things, the electric was wrong. The plumbing was wrong. Some of the structure was wrong. And so what that means is it took much longer to fix, and it took a whole lot more money than what we anticipated. And I began to wring my hands, and I was beginning to say, God, why did you give us this house? God, you made a mistake. You didn't know what you're doing. <laughs> and God said, I know what I'm doing. I'm growing in you faith. And what this has been a wonderful exercise is because that house, it is wonderful because it's forcing me to focus on the kingdom that is lasting and not the kingdom that is earthly. You see, I was trying to build my own little kingdom, my own little comfort at the end of Twin Oaks Drive, right there, pleasantly situated next to Lapham Peak. What a wonderful place. My own little kingdom, and God is saying, no, it's all about my kingdom, the eternal kingdom. I have put you there so that you might know your neighbors, and that your house might be a lighthouse and a hospital. A lighthouse that you might shine forth the truth of the gospel so that all people might know that there is a lasting kingdom, then also a hospital because so many people are hurting and have fear in this world. So God has worked in me gratitude. What a wonderful place to live. He's worked in me priority, seeing that his kingdom is what's lasting. It's not where my house or what my house is. It's about God's house. And so this has been a time for me. Friends, I want to share that story with you because we need to see how these things work out. It's one thing to just come along and say, hey, don't be afraid. That's so cheap, isn't it? But when God says, fear not because I am with you, that changes everything. Today, because God cares for you, seek first his kingdom. Put your fears in his kingdom because you're seeking it first. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you asking that you would work in us in such a way that we would not fear, that we would not have anxiety. But it's so hard to do. 
We live in a world that's so uncertain. We live in a world that has so many things going wrong. And we do feel out of control. We feel like we're before that big grizzly bear. We want to run. But you tell us that you are with us and that you care. You show us so many little things, even today, to look at a bird, and that bird reminds us, how much more valuable am I than even a bird? And you provide for that bird. We look at the flowers, and the flowers are so beautiful. The daffodils are coming up all around the church, and they're gorgeous. They reflect your glory. And those flowers remind us, how much more valuable are we? For they wither and die, but we live forever, and you do care for us. So Jesus, this is a reminder of the gospel. You have come to die upon the cross because you value us. Jesus, post-Easter, you are risen and he is risen indeed to give us new life. How you care for us. Give us that assurance. Give us that assurance. Lord Jesus, we lift up these prayers in your matchless and mighty name. Amen. I ask the worship team to come forward. And as they're coming forward, just again, thankful for you all. Thank you for this church. Would you please rise and let us sing our song of sending. All glory be to Christ.